About this movie, Destin Thompson of Washington Post says there's an excessive amount of excess, a mind-numbing plurality of firearm battles, vehicular explosions, and brutally frank sexual talk. Janet Maslin of the New York Times says the screenplay is mean-spirited, but it earns its keep with sharp, sarcastic dialogue and ingenious ways of setting up this story. And Almar Hafladasen of the BBC says it was ahead of its time and remains one of the best action films of the 90s. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we determine the fate of the long kiss goodnight. Which one will it be? I am also recording. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome. Welcome, John. Hey, Dan. How's it going? It's going great, John. How about how about by you? How's by you? I uh, things are good, but there's just one thing I have to say, Craig Bierko. It's just a. <laughs> I've been since we've been watching the Long Kiss Goodnight. The 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 words Craig Bierko. They just Craig... have such a. A, a great, fun little mouthfeel to it that I just can't stop saying Craig Bierko. <laughs> it's, it's it's almost like a vocal exercise. It's liberating. Yeah, no. Craig Bierko, Craig Bierko, Craig Bierko, Craig Bierko. You sound like just John Malkovich right there. <laughs> Malkovich. Mal- I sound like Aunt Rhoda doing John Malkovich. Oh, jeez. Um, Very inside joke. So Shout out uh, to Aunt Rhoda. I, I, well, am, I, I am good. I've got... Um, I've got, uh, like, the day... We're recording this on a Saturday. I have, like, a full day completely to myself. Um, The wife and the kid are away for the weekend, and I tried really hard to to sleep in this morning. My brain is wired uh, to get up at 6 o'clock, no matter what. So, Mm -hmm. um, hopefully... Tomorrow morning will we'll be a little bit different, but we're recording this during the daytime, which is fun, which means that I'm not completely fizzled out. We're drinking coffee. It's uh, a rare treat. We are, we're getting this happening, you know, daytime styles. That's Yeah, exciting. really. Midday, you know? Midday, another uh, great word combo that I like is midday cannoli. <laughs> Don't look at me like I'm crazy. We're talking Mid-day about f- cannoli. We're talking about word combos that have was that a good is that the newest ne- like, like got it episode? <laughs> no, although there is a new episode of Got It up today. I noticed. I was like, oh, John has been <laughs> industrious this morning. I went to the coffee shop. I uh, sat down. I edited an episode of my one of my other podcasts, Got It, and um, did a little bit of work. I put together the episode artwork for this this show that we're doing right now. I always love doing that in public. Like if I'm at a coffee shop, I like to do the episode <laughs> artwork because then if somebody like walks by or like sees over my shoulder, they're just like, why is he photoshopping pictures from Weekend at Bernie's? And is I'll be John like, Ashton? none of your business. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing is it's not. <laughs> Did you see the episode artwork for uh, Beverly Hills Cop? Or for, I meant I was thinking Midnight Run. Oh, Midnight Run. Did is he you in the episode artwork for Midnight Run? I don't. He, some, is, he is not, but Gerald Ford is. 
I did. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yes. I saw that. And okay, that was why I thought John Ashton was, was in there. That, so oh, I, I, uh, so anyway, I've got the, the place to myself. And last night I decided I'm going to uh, put something on that I can put on it like full volume and, and enjoy uh, a nice movie as loud as I want it. And I'm not waking up any kids. Yeah, you're giving me the thumbs up. It is so liberating. So. It is so great. So um, I have been a television producer. So I'm in the Producers Guild for people listening. Dan, you already know that. So Ooh. I get screeners from the movies that uh, have come out over the past year that are up for awards, potentially. And I had the screener for Rocket Man. I haven't gotten any other like action. I haven't gotten any like action movies or anything yet. I, I was just Rocket imagine- Man. Sorry, John. I was just imagining you turning on like "Won't You Be My Neighbor" at, or Be- yeah. "Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood" and just cranking it all the. Way- I'm sorry. Which one is the documentary and which one is the new one with Tom Hanks? Uh, I have no idea. Okay. But anyway, I, whichever I, one the I, new I one with Tom Hanks. Is. I essentially held up Rocket Man, and then like. The Peanut Butter Falcon, and I was like, I'm gonna want to pump up the jams on Rocket Man, and I Agreed. really enjoyed it. It was great. You, you enjoyed Rocket Man? Yeah, it was wonderful. So did I? Did I mention it when after I saw it? Um, I don't recall. Poss- if I, I think I possibly. I don't know. I saw it back, uh, you know, back in the spring, and just really, I really enjoyed it. And if I didn't say it then, I'll say it now. Really appreciate how the um screenwriters the producers whoever's whoever's had this concept but making in making it a musical and taking the form of a musical which already like demand or kind of demands that the audience suspends disbelief you allow the story to kind of embellish some things rather than others and I think it's somewhere where Bohemian Rhapsody kind of caught some flack and maybe had Bohemian Rhapsody been made as a musical, the, you know, lapses in historical accuracy and what was focused on what wasn't could be forgiven because, hey, it's a musical. It's a fantasy. Well, I mean, along those lines, I don't know if I would necessarily agree because, uh, Elton John as a person is this, you know, flamboyant, you know, musical of a person. And Which Freddie Mercury wasn't. No, but it's not a Freddie Mercury movie. It's a Queen movie. Oh, that's Whereas true. Whereas Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury was definitely a flamboyant person. But like the other guys in the band weren't. And even though it focused heavily on him, it was still a Queen movie. It was a, If it was specifically a Freddie Mercury movie, then... Yeah, I could see what you where you're coming from. You know what I mean? Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Um, Fair point. But let's talk about a movie that is in no way. Well, I, I don't know. There's a lot of Christmas music in it, so I couldn't say it's not a musical necessarily. Um, and the there's some classic, singing. There is some singing. Put my keys in my right pocket. Put my gun in the left. I don't know if that was an exact quote. The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yes. What a, what a fun movie. I've always thought that it was a fun movie. Um, I, I don't know. I look back on it with uh, 
high praise always. I, I mean, I, I watched it just the other day, and I maybe thought a little bit differently about it than I did, you know, when I first saw it. Really? But I think that that just goes with the changing times and uh, what we expect now from visual effects. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, what are your thoughts about The Long Kiss Goodnight? You know, and in that, I guess in that regard, almost um, not quite countering that, but to me, I found it, in terms of the action sequences, refreshing in that it was like that old school, like you really felt like that was a car crashing through that snowbank and cause, and it went like, you know, going in slow motion and th- so many wonderful action sequences that are just like tangible and they're like just within the bounds of believability where as like modern, I just, I find like most current action films to just be like over stylized and it's like the camera is moving so that you don't you can't tell that the actors like can't fight and um like older action movies it's almost the camera's more static and the action is happening around the camera huh okay so whereas and i felt this i want to say the like i could i could tag it down to like the first time i really felt this way about like contemporary action movies was 2007's transformers okay where I was like, could the camera stop spinning so I could see what's happening? Like all I well, can all I can see is color. <laughs> well, that's kind of how I feel about movies like the Bourne movies, which we'll talk about for sure later in this episode. Um, and like the taken movies, because all of that is everything is so very the shots are very tight when they're in fight sequences, and I think that a lot yeah. of it's I mean, a lot of it's to, you know, give you the feeling of the excitement and the adrenaline and everything, but I think a lot of it's also, like, Liam Neeson isn't as good of a fighter as he probably once was, <laughs> or, like... Yeah, this is not Darkman yeah. Liam Neeson. Correct, correct. Yes, so, this um, is not even Schindler's List Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> not that he did fighting in that, really. But he kicked some ass. I mean, he fought. And he, and he took names. He did. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, well done, <laughs> and I think respectful. I yes. think respectful. So, <laughs> so uh, just a little synopsis of The Longest Goodnight. Um, yeah. Well, first, I mean, 1996, directed by Rennie Harlan, uh, who and was at the time married to Gina Davis. What's up? I would, yeah, and I would really, so like, as I was watching Long Kiss Goodnight and thinking about the films of Rennie Harlan, I was like, man, I want to I wanna look into this guy and, you know, really kind of wanted to take a moment to focus on the career of of Rennie Harlan, who's a director who hasn't really been heard from in quite some time, you know, not on the, you know, Hollywood mainstream level. Yeah. I, I um, so, like, Rennie Harlan, uh, I think his first, like, big Hollywood flick was Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Uh-huh. Which, um... I, not one of the, and I'm I, I'm a fan of the original Nightmare on Elm Street series, of the the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and then the, the third one, Nightmare on Elm, I think Dream Dream Warriors, um, the fourth one not so hot, but Rennie Harlan directed that, and then in and that was in 1988, and then in 1990, had two 
summer blockbusters open within a week of each other that he edited at the same time. It's crazy. One of them being Die Hard 2, Die Harder, Mm -hmm. so one of the most hotly anticipated sequels, and the other being The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Right. With Andrew Dice Clay, which did not <laughs> didn't do as well as Die Hard 2. But I remember I saw both of those in the theater, too. And, you know, another story for another time. But <laughs> probably not I, Ford Fairlane, but probably not Ford Fairlane. Westfield Rialto. You know who you know who I went with who I went with to see that? Kenny Lawson. Wow, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. And for our listeners, probably a name you've never heard. No, you unless you know someone named, I don't know, Kenny Lawson. Um, but if you're not Kenny Lawson from Linden, New Jersey, then you're not <laughs> the Kenny Lawson who uh, went with me to see Ford Fairlane, which, you know, when you're 12, 13, is hilarious. Also, when right. it's 1990, when you rewatch it in the... The post in the post two thousands, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a I think good it's... thing. It's a good thing that the Dice Man has kind of pivoted uh, his career moves to be, you know, actual acting rather than his persona. That's um, true. He's been in some very Stars uh, Born, Stars Born, Blue Jasmine. Mm-hmm. He's very well. Good I wasn't going to bring up Blue Jasmine. Oh but, uh, <laughs> well, look the dice. We're t- it, look, uh, God. Sadly, but t- in terms of sadly, acting, we can, in terms of just acting, <laughs> yeah. yes. But sadly, in terms of Blue Jasmine, we could br- it, like more respectfully bring up dice. So um, that's true. So yeah. uh, so Randy anyway. Harlan, uh, yes, he definitely made his mark. Um, cliffhanger, I mean, for me, cliffhanger, cliffhanger. Loved cliffhanger. Um, was offered speed. I mean, he was offered to direct the movie Speed. I'm sure sure he was offered Speed a lot of times. I'm sure he accepted that offer. He did not accept the (laughs) offer to direct the movie Speed. Um, And and then he and Gina Davis were married in, I want to say, like 90. Oh, he was also going to direct Alien 2. Oh, yeah? Sorry, Alien 3, not Alien 2. Not Alien. Alien 2 is called Aliens. Yes. No, he was not going to direct Aliens. Um, He was going to direct Alien 3, dropped out of that. Um, but then Cutthroat Island, which bankrupted Kuroko Pictures. Uh, oh, really? That's what did it in? Yeah. And because it was like, it cost $92 million to make, but the box office of it was like a little bit over $10 million. So um, Kuroko went bankrupt. And yeah. uh, Cutthroat Island has a Guinness world record for the biggest loss of money for a film company ever. Wow. And, I mean, at least as of whenever that was published on IMDb Trivia. Um, yeah. Now, and it's funny because have you ever seen Cutthroat Island? Never. Me neither. But like I, walking I down. I don't care to. I mean, I don't know. Like walking down like Rennie Harlan memory lane, I'm kind of, ah, I'm kind of tempted because I'm thinking about all of his movies that I like that I enjoyed, um, you know, Cliffhanger, Die mm-hmm. Hard 2, um, you know, the Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Last Boy Scout, so much, Die, uh, Lethal Weapon. Oh, my classroom lights just went out. No problem. <laughs> um, uh, he was offered GoldenEye. He turned down GoldenEye because he, really? he had um, directed enough sequels. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, and, I, feel like, I feel like Bond movies, and also GoldenEye was kind of, 
rebooting because that was Pierce yeah. Brosnan's first, right? Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if I technically call that as much of a sequel as like Die Hard 2 would be a sequel. Right. I I agree with that assessment completely. However, things worked out the way that they did. And I, I thought Goldeneye... And he hasn't is... been seen or heard from again. Well, no, because he lived did... in China because he's... Oh, he's doing in movies China. in China, yeah. Yeah. But he also, but no, but he did, in, I mean, uh, the year, so Goldeneye came out the same time as Cutthroat Island, and then the following year is Long Kiss Goodnight, Long the Kiss first Goodnight. first mainstream uh, filmmaker for an American studio to use Toronto for a big budget location. And Yeah, filmed uh, in Canada, one shot maybe in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and one shot in Washington, D.C., which could have been stock footage. Probably I was. Didn't, I didn't check didn't filming seem locations. Wor- didn't but. seem worth it to get a fresh shot of the White House. I mean, it, I think it was the same shot of the White House that it, we've seen in almost every movie with just an exterior shot of the White House, like a crane shot. Yeah. Sweeping. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, so Rennie Harlan, and then he, and then after this one he did it Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea, yeah, 99. With Samuel L. Jackson. And I think that after that, he kind of just petered off the, the yeah. mainstream. Yeah. Yeah, he went, he went away. He and Gina Davis split up. Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then uh, Lunkus Goodnight, written by Shane Black. Um, fantastic writer. And I have to say, in terms of action movies might be one of my favorites and i say action kind of with a question mark because it's not just action that he does because his action movies typically are very funny and there's a lot of um drama to them as well not as much this one as uh probably my favorite of his movies which is long kiss knocking long kiss good night kiss kiss bang bang uh-huh. Um, Although Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is, I mean, there's some dramatic elements in it. Yeah. I would say Lethal Weapon has more of, it's got the whole, the um, Vietnam veteran backstory sure. for, for yeah. Riggs. Um, so I always feel like Lethal Weapon is is one of the more serious Shane Black scripts. I think this one might be my favorite. I've, really? I feel like he hits the right balance here between humor and action because it's funny as hell. And I mean, and credit, I mean, credit to Shane Black, but credit to Samuel L. Jackson and Gina Davis for having tremendous chemistry. Oh, yeah. They're fantastic together. And to Samuel L. Jackson for playing for, like, he's such a, I feel like they complement each other so well. And he's like the perfect sidekick for her. Yeah. No, he, in a different way fantastic. that he was in Die Hard with a Vengeance a year earlier where he, you know, yeah. teamed up with Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. Um just to talk a little bit more about Shane Black. I mean, he's been kind of knocking them out of the park since the beginning with uh Monster Squad. Well, and think about it this way, John. Monster Squad, Predator, Lethal Weapon, Released within months of each other. It's absolutely insane. It's insane. Oh, God. All right. So, and then, I mean, recently he did the latest Predator reboot. Oh, did he? Oh, he directed. The Predator. 
Yeah. He directed it, didn't he? Yeah. He directed that. And then, um, I mean, he did the third Iron Man movie, which I think is, it's so funny because like, I think it's really good. And it has all of those like Shane Black elements, kind of like the, the father figure to some kid, you know, there's this kid that shows up and. <laughs> I don't know. It, there's kind of like the vacant father that's filled. I, that's like an element that comes up a lot in um, Shane Black movies that I kind of love. I also really like the nice guys. Yeah, you know that's one i i need to I need to revisit that one. I've I've put it on a few times and it's just never quite clicked with me. And I I don't know what it is because it, on paper it is everything I want in a movie. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let me tell you, uh, The Nice Guys, Iron Man 3, and The Long Kiss Goodnight all feature Yvonne Zima. Uh, she plays the daughter oh, in this yeah. movie. Uh, her She is the sister of Madeline Zima from The Nanny and the, the latest Twin Peaks uh, iteration. And oh, that's um, right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so she was in those other movies as in various roles, so I'm assuming she has some sort of connection with Shane Black um, dating back to, to Long Kiss Goodnight. Unless it's just pure coincidence, in which case, well, weird. I mean, yeah, I yeah. don't I don't know. I, I didn't realize she was still, I didn't realize she was still in, in the biz. Yeah, she's been doing a lot. And uh, even before Long Kiss Goodnight, she was doing stuff. She was in Executive Decision and Heat. Um, yeah, so there you have it. Yvonne Zima. So, uh, synopsis, The Long Kiss Goodnight. So, uh, Gina Davis plays Samantha Kane, uh, and I say that in quotes, uh, and she wakes up as a pregnant lady, a pregnant adult, who can only really remember her name, so she thinks. A pregnant adult played well, by a female I mean, actress. You know, I'm just saying she she wakes up not knowing anything except for her name, and right. she is a pregnant person. And, that's and this pretty is much... eight years before well, we pick up the story. Right. So, and then over the course of the next eight years, she's basically just trying to live a normal life, all while trying to figure out her past. Uh, she hires a uh, private investigator after private investigator. And uh, essentially, as they say in the movie, you know, starts with expensive ones and then now is down to like budget private eyes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it isn't until she gets into the, the car accident that you mentioned earlier where things are kind of knocked loose in her head. Um, very bizarre car accident. She is driving back an old man um, from their Christmas party who's getting a little handsy. And oh, uh, yeah. she gets distracted and hits a very realistic looking deer. That deer did not look real. This is what you were talking about with special effects. That was one of them. And it's funny because you were mentioning, like, the car accident itself yeah. was really, like, engaging to watch. But, like, that deer really took me out of it. It was just very... Took robotic. her out of it, too. Took her out <laughs> of it, Put her back into sure. it. Yeah. So, uh, she has this, like, crazy dream where she sees a different version of herself named Charlie... And it's this, like, very 90s badass version of herself. You know, like, slicked back, bleached hair. Well, did she have bleached hair in that version? Slicked yeah, back yeah. hair. In the mirror. And it's, with the mirror. 
Right, in the mirror, and there's this, like, crazy swirling backdrop that reminded me a lot of The Crow. Um, it, it just was, like, this wild thing, and Charlie's like, I'm Charlie, you're gonna... You're gonna like me, and you know she's like being real. Wait till they get a load of me. Wait till they get a load of me, and um, you know she she kind of wakes up and she doesn't know what that dream meant, and then she realizes when making dinner that she's got these crazy knife skills while she's like chopping carrots, and uh, <laughs> assumes that she was a chef in her past life. <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, chefs do that. Yeah, she just starts chopping, and she's like, "Chefs do this," and then. Out of nowhere, she like throws a knife and a tomato against a wall, and the knife goes into the tomato, and she just goes, "Chefs do that." Um, yeah, nobody buys it. And um, so the last PI that she hired is Mitch Hennessy, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who is, you know, kind of a shady character, bit of a grifter. Uh, mm-hmm. He does this private eye thing, but also kind of extorts rich people. For uh, for money, kind of entrapping them into a prostitution situation, and um, yeah, yeah, so he's, he's just he's, kind of yeah, he's a slime ball. Yeah, I mean yeah. he's done time. He's been in prison, right? Yeah, and uh, his at, his ex won't let him see his kid. True. Mm-hmm. There's a backstory about that that is not in the final draft of the screenplay. Interesting. Yeah, apparently. So the story is that when Mitch was in prison, he was gang raped. And because of that, his ex won't let him around. Uh, what? Son. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I really, I do feel like that's excessive. I think that her just kind of feeling like, hey, you're not a good influence on him. Totally. Is yeah. You that, s- it works. <laughs> Right. I mean, there's this scene towards the beginning where he tries to give his kid a toy and, you know, he's like, my mom won't let me keep it because she assumes that everything that he gives the kid is stolen. And it's a pretty heartbreaking moment because it's just like he just really wants to be a dad to his kid and he's not allowed. So, um, yeah, interesting moment to give him a lot more depth for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, at the same time that she has kind of her memory jogged a little bit, uh, that's when uh, Mitch's assistant uh, finds out about a, a postcard that gives a little bit more information about Samantha Kane, And he is going to try to follow up on this lead with her. But at the same time, uh, she ends up on TV because she was Mrs. Claus in a Christmas parade and everybody's talking about hot Mrs. Claus. Yeah. And uh, this crazy psychoptic prisoner that's like in a weird <laughs> empty uh, room in a prison. Um, like watching a TV, TV that's in a cage. Yeah. Watching a TV that's in a cage and he's all by himself and it's like dark and weird and he starts like flipping out because he sees this really weird news report that won't get over how the how hot this Mrs. Claus is. <laughs> it was a weird news report. Well, um, it, I mean, it's kind of like I mean, I guess because he's in prison, he's at the what Jersey Correctional Facility, not even yeah, New Jersey. I just, noticed just that Jersey. too. I was like Jersey. 
They couldn't get the rights for New Jersey. Yeah, it's very it Jersey. Jersey of that correctional facility. Just call it itself the Jersey although, correctional facility. Although, like, they, well, they're very like all the license plates are. I mean, I know they shot it in Toronto, but like they use accurate Jersey license plates. Well, good and, on them. But yeah, so I mean, I feel like it's just like maybe he's in like the same regional area where like they're showing the local news and it's like clearly, you know, they live in this small suburban New Jersey town where apparently like every and this is, I guess, one of those areas where, yeah, maybe this movie's a little dated, um, both in the focus on hot Mrs. Claus, but also in the fact that apparently every other woman who lives in this town is like frumpy. And then well, there's Gina Davis. <laughs> the people on the news are making a joke about how, like, Santa's going to get it tonight. <laughs> like, who does that? Uh, who says so anyway, that? Who says that? So anyway. Oh, this... I, I, for, I forgot that detail. I watched uh, half of the movie a few nights ago and then finished okay. it up this morning. So some of it is, and I was exhausted when I watched the first half a few nights ago. So, All right. So this, I... Uh, this criminal, this prisoner with one eye, somehow escapes from prison and connects with the other league of bad guys, uh, the main bad guy portrayed by Craig Bierko. Craig Bierko. Craig Bierko. Craig Bierko. And Craig Bierko to you, too. Uh, so, and then somehow, there is also a link to the president. So, oh, of course there is. Oh my goodness! Um, when the when the chose the White House, I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> what is happening?" So, and you know, when he finds out that um, Charlie Baltimore is alive, that's her actual name or her hitman name or whatever. No, that's uh, on her birth certificate, which is bananas. Charlene. Well, yeah, but Baltimore is the uh, the wild part. That's quite that's quite a last name. Anyway, yes. when he finds out that she's still alive, he's like, what? She's still alive? Um, in not a good way. So, uh, I thought you took care of this eight years ago. I don't yeah, know if that's an much. exact quote, but it could be. It's pretty much exact. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, Mitch Hennessy uh, is trying to help her follow the leads as the bad guys are starting to track her down. And uh, it links them to, and I don't remember the name of the character, but uh, Brian Cox's character. Oh, right. He's uh, like a professor or doctor. Um... Well, he essentially is her point person. And as we come to discover, she is a an assassin for the government. And he yeah. is basically her contact. And yeah. Um, yeah, so little by little, as they're traveling and trying to get out of these situations trying to get away from bad guys uh charlie comes out more and more and samantha goes away and uh you see it mostly happening when she discovers a disassembled sniper rifle in her suitcase that made me question did she not ever question why her empty suitcase was so heavy all these years like, wasn't she just like, man, this is a heavy suitcase. I got to get a new suitcase. Yeah, <laughs> There's no reason well, why I this mean, should be yeah. this heavy. So she oh, opens up a bottom panel and it's it's this uh, rifle that you see her putting it together as if she, you know, could do it with her She's eyes trained. closed. Yeah, with 
one hand. And yeah, um, yeah. and we, we discovered that Samantha Kane was one of her aliases and uh, things blow up, people die, the kid gets kidnapped. I'm just speeding through the rest here. We discover that Craig Bierko is the kid's father. More people die. Uh, she says he's the father. Well, yeah, but we don't know that until later on. Oh, I mean, I guess it's never they they do they ever really like make it clear whether or not she's telling him the truth. Uh, well, that's the thing is that Craig Bierko's character, his like one real characteristic is that he knows when people are lying. Mm-hmm. I don't oh, know if yeah. you remember any of this, but no. uh, she's like telling like she's got the kid there and she's like this is your child. Can't you tell? Look at her face. And you can kind of see him like realizing that she's telling the truth, but then you realize that he doesn't care. Um, Oh yeah. And there's this whole, so there's this whole underlying plot about how uh, the government has been staging terrorist attacks to boost funds for, I don't know, defense. Yeah. And one of the examples that they gave that was uh, one of these plots was the 93 bombing of the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that this is what's going to be happening now to allocate more funds because the president is like, no, I want to put money to health care or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, they're just and the whole plot is to get them to reallocate funds to defense because of a terrorist attack. So Charlie is basically right in the middle of this new terrorist attack conspiracy. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to, to, I don't know, make it look like it's from uh, a foreign country. And anyway, so anyway, what Charlie wins, the kid lives, uh, Craig Bierko dies Screaming. Yes. Oh, and uh, no mistaking. And the president calls to thank her. Uh huh. So that's, that's in a nutshell, the long kiss goodnight. And Mitch gets to go on Larry King and redeem himself on yes. national television. Yes. Uh, for his oh, wife and, and ex wife and, and child. At, and at the end, of course, uh, Charlie gets a call from the president while she's driving uh, in her convertible in a very Thelma and Louise like yeah. fashion as, as she yeah. did when she started with Susan Sarandon who was in with Lorenzo's the... oil. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. So, um, <laughs> where else I, do I you mean, go with that one? I, I'm just going to tell you personally, um, I didn't love Gina Davis in this movie. Really? I, I feel like I'm going to get some made for saying that. No, I just, I, elaborate, please. I think she's. I think that Gina Davis is awesome. Uh, she kills it in Beetlejuice, League of Their Own. Like so many of her movies, she's spot on in. Um, Transylvania Six Five Thousand. I mean, from the very beginning, she was in huge movie after huge movie. Like her first movie was Tootsie. Yeah, and then essentially right after that, she started as pretty much starring in movies. Earth Girls Are Easy. Um, and she was in The Fly. Like, it was just... Accidental Taurus. She won an Oscar. Yeah, absolutely. Like, she came out swinging, and she just started killing it one Fletch. after another. She is in Fletch. She is in Fletch. I think that was her second movie. And, um, yeah, and she's just so tremendous. But I felt like 
action wasn't really the best place for her. I don't know. And maybe it's working with her then husband because clearly things uh, didn't work as great for Cutthroat Island. But I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if maybe there was too much to put on her for this. That, I don't know, it just didn't feel like she was comfortable doing this. It felt too much like she was, like, really pretending to be badass when in, when she should have just been badass. I am going to, I mean, I'm going to respectfully disagree. I think she's plenty badass. <laughs> I think, I mean, look, is she Angela Bassett? Like, could Angela Bassett have, like, especially 1996, Imagine Angela Bassett in that role. Okay. She, I mean, I know I don't because I'm like, if I'm gonna cast one other person, I'm like, who? In because when you when I'm thinking of badass female actresses from you know who were kind of like I, I'm in their prime in the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. I, Angela Bassett's kind of the first that comes to mind. I mean, Strange Days in in '95. Uh, what's love got to do with it in 93 yeah. she's pretty badass in that so like is that who are you thinking would be a more appropriate let's say let's start with mid- you're talking 1996 i'm talking 1996 if you could go back in time and replace gina davis and recast the role who would you cast pop oh, quiz hot shot well that's interesting because she's you get the idea that she's around 35 at the time. She doesn't know because, you know, there's this narration at the beginning where she's like, I look in the mirror and try to figure out how old I am. And I want to say I'm probably around 35. Um, so thinking about actresses who were around 35 at the time. So I think at one point you do see an ID for her that has her date of birth as like 1962. Or somewhere okay. around that. So she's in her she's in her mid thirties. Yeah. I mean Halle Berry, I think, would have been a cool mm. choice. Mm. Um Yeah, see I'm thinking of people who I'm just like, no, they'd probably be too young at that point. Um, like your Angelina Jolie's and things like that. Which um, she kind were, of Mr. and Mrs. Smith is. Right, but know. that wasn't not at that point. No, um, no, no. That was that was several years later. Yeah. It's like 10 years later. uh, Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know necessarily, but I just didn't feel like... I mean, like Sandra Bullock? Too young at the time. Yeah. 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 I don't know. So, I mean, it was was fun to watch. And Gina Davis is fun to watch, but uh, especially in that first scene where it's that dream and she's Charlie and it's like... (laughs) And she's like saying all of these, you know, badass catchphrasey kind of things. I'm just like, oh, it's kind of hard to believe her in those moments. I will give you that in the dreams, in that dream sequence. It's very, she's doing like soap opera acting, especially yeah. more as Samantha than Charlie. Although, yeah, it's right. very soap opera-y, that, the mirror dream, but it's also like, it was kind of cool. I'm like, if you look, if you're watching it on kind of like this pulpy level, it it works. Mm-hmm. I, don't I will know. say For, another thing yeah. that was kind of cheesy about this movie is that, Sam Kane is an anagram for amnesiac. Yeah. 
And it's just like, but that was a name that was like one of her aliases before she was an amnesiac. So what? I guess they were just, I guess maybe it was just Shane Black being clever. Yeah, I, totally. Yeah. I don't just know. Just kind of I, being like a eh, little, little in joke. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that Rennie Harlan can go over the top in his in his films you know they yeah. are you know sensory candy they're just meant to really just be like wow crazy this explosion is happening and these people are running and doing crazy stuff and and Shane Black definitely writes a lot of really clever actiony sequences like shooting people while ice skating but oh yeah. That was badass. Come on, yeah. tell me Gina Davis wasn't badass in that scene. She was great in that scene. That's for sure. But I don't know. I I don't know what it is. There was just something about it that I was just like, this isn't so much working for me as much as it did back when I originally saw it in the 90s, which I remember the circumstances under which oh. I saw it. Um, if I had to guess where I saw it, it would probably have been the theater at the Menlo Park Mall. Um I know I was definitely seeing a lot of movies there at that time. I saw it with uh, two friends of mine uh, from junior high era, uh, Mark Sebaceous and Chris Anders. And uh, shout out to those guys. Whatever you're doing, I hope you're happy. I haven't heard from you in a long time. And uh, I specifically remember, you know, the movie opens up at a Christmas parade and you hear the song that just goes like, Christmas, Christmas, and oh yeah, and uh, we were all just like being dumb teenagers and just like going Christmas and being really obnoxious, but uh, very quickly snapped into the movie and we're very excited to be watching uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, say a motherfucker all the time. Oh, a lot. I was. Watching- I love when. I was watching a uh, a YouTube video that was just him saying that in a, like every time in a movie, and yes. there even before this, he was doing it so much in like every single movie he'd been in, and he'd been oh, in a ton of movies before. Like this. Sea of Love, he's got like two lines, and one of them he's got motherfucker in it. It's he, I think <laughs> he owns that combination of words. He really, he really does. I, I grant Samuel L. Jackson owns motherfucker. Arnold Schwarzenegger owns bullshit. This <laughs> is bullshit. bullshit. I love how he says bullshit. No one says it better than Arnold. Hey, well, money talks and bullshit walks. So, um, well, twins. So, uh, yeah. yeah, Dan, do you remember the circumstances under which you saw this movie? I don't. So this would have been fall of 1996. It would have been my sophomore year of college. And um, so I was living down on campus in New Brunswick at at Rutgers University. Um, I I don't – I can't say for sure that I – that I didn't see this in the theater, but I don't have a ticket stub from it. And mm. I, I'm trying to think like the movies that I was seeing in 1996, because I was in like acting school, it was a lot of the, uh, you know, like I saw secrets and lies in the theater. Right. A, a Mike Lee 
you know, drama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember seeing The English Patient in actually in a preview screening and the projector broke. So it was like a five hour experience of The English Patient. Um, so, which needs never be repeated. But <laughs> I don't, I, I'm pretty sure like Long Kiss Goodnight, that was probably, uh, that was probably a blockbuster night. Yeah, right. I, I, that that was probably just a a, a rental. Um, I yeah, I couldn't tell you the first time I saw it, who I saw it with. I may very well have seen it in the theater. I may very well have seen it at the Menlo Park Theater because that yeah, right. was where I saw a lot of movies at that time. I didn't see it when you saw it at the Menlo Park Theater because yeah. you would have been so annoyed. I would have yelled at you. That like was... I did it to old ladies who talked during another Rennie Harlan movie, Die Hard 2, which I also saw with Kenny Lawson <laughs> at the Linden Movie Theater, who was in Nick Nolte. Who was, who was in Nick Nolte? What? No. Um, sorry. He was in nothing with Nick Nolte. Did you see Susan Sarandon bumped her head and got a concussion? I did not she see that. A, she had a little Hopefully slip it's not fall. a Lorenzo's Oil situation. I hope not. I mean, that's usually, a, you know, it's something innocuous, like a little slip, and next thing you know, Lorenzo's oil. <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, I have no other Lorenzo's oil connections today. I'm like, how is Samuel L. Jackson, who has been in, like, every movie, he's in every franchise, he's in, so let's see how many, like, franchises slash cinematic universes he exists in. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Avengers. Mm-hmm. The the new monster verse. He was in Kong Skull Island. Oh right, yeah. Um, that movie was so good. What about that? Was a great movie. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I wish I had seen that in the theater. It was yeah, it was great. Yeah, um, I'm trying to what what are the other because well, um, I now, mean the the, the Tarantino, Tarantino verse. Yeah, yeah, big time. He's dating back up. a long time ago. I mean, he pops. He's in True Romance. He's in True Romance. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he pops up at that coming to America. Maybe they'll bring him America. back for the. That's right. He's he robs the McDowells. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, wow. um, but yeah, I mean, Jungle Fever. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see Jungle Fever? Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, Wesley Snipes, Annabella Shiora. Um, so great movie. I, Samuel L. Jackson's amazing in it. So you touched upon uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and. I want to uh, briefly mention another movie that I watched yesterday with the volume up very loud, uh, Captain Marvel, which has a lot of similarities to this in that, you know, it's somebody who kind of wakes up out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and they are an adult person. She's not pregnant, but uh, doesn't know anything about their past and things come to light while traveling around with Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who's who's kind of w- the witless accomplice almost the or not accomplice but the uh yeah well i mean uh helper yeah you know and well, he's uh, i mean no not to say he's the wit- witless accomplice but he's just kind of like he's the guy who thought he knew what was going on until right. he meets this person and then he realizes man nothing is what i don't know thought. anything exactly yeah. and um so it, it kind of made me think about other movies that have this theme of somebody who, you know, all of a sudden wakes up and doesn't know who they are and then comes to discover that they have all of these abilities. And, you know, there's uh, the Bourne movies, which mm-hmm. I had mentioned earlier, and 
in those, Brian Cox essentially plays the same character, similarly, you know, <laughs> right. uh, whereas Samuel L. Jackson is the witless helper, uh, Brian Cox is the uh, the point person. And yeah. Um, yeah, and that's kind of a weird, fun connection to make. You have to wonder if uh, there's a Brian Cox uh, universe of assassins who, you know, get their uh, get a bump on the head and forget who they are. Like, is is one of his alias? Is one of his like code names Striker? Can we connect X Men, Marvel sure. Universe? Yeah. Well, that's a different Marvel Universe. The Fox Marvel Universe, yeah. which well, nah, it's hey, Disney owns it all now. Right. Disney uh, Plus. So, uh, and then another one that's similar is Total Recall. Man, a good, which, man, holy shit. What connection can believe, you make here? Well, the connection is with earlier in the episode when you first started talking about um, your your wife and, and daughter being away and, like, blasting the volume. The first move, so when the first time that uh, my wife, Alicia, took... Uh, our daughter Chloe on you know a, a trip just just the two of them, um, you know for a significant period of time, uh, you know that went to Europe for for a few weeks to visit family, and like the first night they were gone, I uh, first of all hooked up. We were in our uh, little like it was almost like a I don't I don't know if you'd call it a railroad style apartment, but our apartment in in Brooklyn in Park Slope, and we didn't have our surround sound set up because our surround sound wasn't wireless, um, and the wires would have been a problem. I got those surround sound speakers out, and I busted out my Blu-ray of Total uh, Recall. Yeah. And that was, that was like, my first, like, oh, there's no... there's And, like, of course, as soon as it starts, oh, no, is it too loud? Wait, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, I had a moment where I was like, am I blasting this way too loud? Like, is my the person who shares the wall with my, you know, TV or whatever, because I also have surround sound, so I wanted to take advantage of that. And then I thought about all the times that she has, like, parties over the weekend where things get loud, and I'm just like, we cool. She can listen to Elton John music <laughs> through the walls a little <laughs> bit. Uh, so, sorry, lady, the bitch is back. <laughs> um, man, that movie was fun. I really enjoyed that. It's a fun so, movie. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's certainly many other movies that have a person who uh, is an amnesiac who discovers a certain set of skills. Over the Muppets the Take the Manhattan. Oh, uh, we haven't gotten to Muppets Take Manhattan yet. But uh, yes, first of all, definitely. But I, thanks to Disney Plus, I just showed my kid uh, the Muppet movie. And this is some, this is a, a child. She um, is two and a, not even two and a half. And she uh, can't watch anything for more than 15 minutes without wanting to change it to the Wiggles or Daniel Tiger. <laughs> but the, the original Muppet movie, she watched the whole thing all the way through. Interesting. Okay. That's Loved good to it. know. I am Loved going it. to use that. So on on my side of things here, on my side of the Washington, Oregon state line. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chloe only wants to watch the the Dutch. She watches the Dutch news. And now they have specifically what? Sinterklaas. I should show you this because, uh, um, oh boy, they have the Sinterklaas 
news, and it's hosted by Shvarta Pete. Okay. <laughs> who, um, Black Pete, who um, is one of Santa's helpers who goes down the chimney and his face gets so covered with soot. So you have people in blackface on TV, and right. that... Chloe is watching and like one week they had one of them in like all these gold chains and like pretending to be like a rapper and it's this white Belgian guy in blackface. So um, gotcha. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I voice my, <laughs> I voice my concerns and then I'm, you know, okay, that's, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> that, and what I, what I really enjoy is Doc McStuffins. She likes watching Doc oh, McStuffins. Really? Okay. And oh oh yes, um, Doc McStuffins, and, and I really I like I just I like the whole tone of it, everything about it. Um, we haven't gotten really to that into one yet. No no no, you're a couple of years from there. Um, <laughs> but if if you get there, just know Doc McStuffins, it, it's good stuff. Uh, the music gets stuck in your head, but it's it's good. I've got Doc McStuffins songs stuck in my head from like four hours ago. So I'm that way with the Wiggles, and sometimes I'll be at work. And well, one time I went to work, and this guy I work with, out of nowhere, comes up to me and says, "Hey, John, what's in your head right now?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "What song is in your head?" You know, we always get songs stuck in our heads. What's in your head? And I was like, "Dude, you don't want to know." And fruit so salad. I had, to, I had to tell him, "No, it wasn't fruit salad." At that time, it was follow the leader. Oh my. Yeah. So, uh, Dan. Does Maggie do follow the leader around the apartment? She's adorable. No. So I just want to no. know about this. And nope. Okay. Uh, but for fruit salad, if anyone's unfamiliar with the Wiggles, I apologize. But sometimes she'll, uh, she hasn't done this in a while, but uh, even if we're not listening to the song, she'll like, just go, fruit salad, yummy, yummy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why she does it like that. It's not like they do it like that. It's just so good. She does um, it that way because she knows it's awesome. Yeah, right. So, uh, so Dan, the long kiss, good night. Uh, what would you do with this movie now? Sequel. Okay. Sequel. It's twenty five years later. Mm-hmm. Katie is an adult. Katie okay. being the daughter of Samantha Kane slash Charlie Baltimore, um, okay. who now. Uh, Samantha has has since passed. Okay. Um, she's no longer with us. Um, so, excuse me. I do think that, um, but like before she passed, she told Katie about what Perkins tells her. Okay. About, about like the CIA f- staging terrorist attacks to look like, um, you know, staging terrorist attacks, framing other countries or organizations and going and like, you know, that whole plot. Now, I don't know if specifically I would say I would, because one, one road, one way you could go with it is kind of to say like, okay, so Katie is now this conspiracy theorist who is tracing um, terrorist attacks, including nine 11. Um, because, come on, he basically says, like, we are planning, he basically says they're planning 9-11, without saying that, because this was five years before 9-11, but, so she is this conspiracy theorist now, who is, she's connecting 
all of these um, terrorist attacks and, you know, looking for evidence, always looking for evidence that the American government is is somehow involved. Like she's tracing like, okay, so, you know, the Department of Defense made this request to Congress for this much funding after this attack. What And then what was funding like, you know, before this attack? She's following it all. She's got all the strings going through her little, you know, apartment. Um, and, and I'm thinking, so Katie, uh, Katie could be played. I, I had two thoughts. Um, cause you would have to have someone who has kind of that, a similar, like that stature as Gina Davis. She would be in her, she'd actually be around the same age. So, cause she's eight in Lunkus Good Night. So 25 years later, she'd be in, she'd be 33. So, um, I thought Blake Lively would make an interesting option. Um, I, and the other name that popped into my head was Tatiana Maslani from Orphan Black, uh-huh. who, um, she's got the action chops and I think she's a she's a great actress but I could see Katie kind of being this you know kind of following uh following the trail and um and now and like she's under an assumed name and everything but someone figures out who she is like a CIA analyst hears some chatter and recognizes something like recognize maybe she references Miss, her teddy bear Mr. Perkins um <laughs> and and they're like wait a second um or like you know someone someone connects the dots and um and they go and and they go after her they they hunt her down she escapes you know similar to kind of a live for your die hard setup except no one needs to rescue her she just escapes um and she kind of goes on the now she goes on the run. She kind of grabs as much of her stuff as possible. She's got it. Like I wonder if she has everything on paper because she doesn't want to be tracked electronically. Like maybe she's like totally off the grid. Um, and she, so now she's like you know she's she's on the run. She's she's hiding out. Um, you know she's kind of like trying to find different. Um, you know, she's she's going she's got a few people that she trusts that are kind of like part of these conspiracy theorist networks. Again, not dissimilar from a live free or die hard type uh, situation. Um, I think you could have her reconnect with Mitch. I think you could have her, you know, I mean, and maybe it's like she doesn't know where you know, where Mitch is, maybe she, you know, she ends up in, I don't know, Chicago and, you know, she sees an ad for, you know, um, Mitch Hennessy, you know, private eye agency or whatever. Um, <laughs> so, which now that I think about it, it's like, oh, just like in Shaft. Um <laughs> But, you know, maybe she's like, maybe she winds up in this, you know, she winds up in the city and there's no one she trusts, but it's like, wait, Mitch Hennessy, like that Mitch Hennessy. And she kind of reconnects with him and she's like, look, I can trust you. And, you know, cause no, I don't think anyone did anyone. Mitch definitely wasn't there when Perkins tells her all this. And I don't think Katie could hear it either. Right. Although if Katie could hear it, then. I mean that works too. So Unless yeah, so she's that's just kind been of, told about it after the fact. 
Well, that's kind of what I think is it's kind of like, you know, um, uh, you know, and and I would even flash back to the original to the original scene and have her, you know, and have that explain or even like do something similar like to the opening credits. The opening credits to Long Kiss Goodnight are fantastic because they set they set a lot up and they they establish um, you know they give you like little glimpses of things and I feel like yeah. if you had if you had the opening credits of like Long Kiss Goodnight two or whatever like Long Kiss Goodbye or whatever you want to call it. Um, you kind of set it up with sh- scenes from the original and, you know, include that bit with Perkins talking about planning terrorist attacks and blaming other countries for them to get funding. So I, w- I think Gina Davis should absolutely be producing. I don't know that I would, you know, <laughs> I don't think you could really bring her back. Dan, let, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Are you Rennie Harlan? <laughs> Answer honestly. Shh. Because Am I Rennie? Because I want to read to you I uh, the the answers that Rennie Harlan gave the Hollywood Reporter in an interview earlier this year. And oh. when asked about a Long Kiss Goodnight sequel, Rennie Harlan responds like this. And keep in mind at this point he's living in China and uh, making making films for China or for the Chinese market. So Rennie says, that's a good question because The Long Kiss Goodnight was one of the first Hollywood movies that was released in the theaters in China. So it is really well known here and people love it. Several people, producers and financiers here in China, have talked to me about doing either a Chinese remake or doing an English language sequel. And yeah, I've played with the idea. I've created a treatment for a sequel where... Basically, in a nutshell, the story is that in the opening sequence, Gina Davis's character is murdered, and her daughter, who was five or six or five or six years old in the original, she'd now be in her twenties, uh, and she's in university. After the mother dies, she receives a mysterious package, and there's something in it that she doesn't really understand. And now all the government and a couple of bad guys are after her because they have a hunch that the mother sent the item to her. So now she's on the run. She has no one to turn to. So she's over her head. The only person that she knows that could maybe help is Samuel L. Jackson's character. And then it basically becomes a road movie, but now it's Sam and Gina's daughter on the road. That's my treatment. And uh, when asked how likely it would be that it could happen, uh, he, he says, I talked a little bit about it to Toby Emmerich at Warner Brothers. And it's just, you know, the studio machinery is so cumbersome. My feeling is that there's one of those situations where they can't decide whether they would uh, just give me or sell me the rights and let me make the movie, or if they want to be actually actively involved. At the moment, they would want to be actively involved. Then it's marketing and distribution and international and a million other things that have to be taken into account, so it gets really slow and complicated. And when asked if Samuel L. Jackson would be on board, he says, I talked to Sam about it. Sam said 100% he's in. He would love to do it. He said it's um, his favorite role. That's right. And yeah. uh, actually in the script for The Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, it says at the at the very end of the script that there will be a sequel called The Kiss After Lightning. So. Charlie Baltimore will return in The Kiss. Because <laughs> yeah, he much. didn't want to make a James Bond movie. Um, yeah. So, uh 
So it's interesting. I mean, yeah, following after... I had not uh, read that, I swear. Yeah, after Charlie's death, uh, the daughter then goes on some sort of adventure with Mitch Hennessy. Um, I I think I would definitely... So, I mean, interesting is they definitely establish she's eight in, in the movie. Um, yeah. That's kind of well, neither here nor there. Mathematically speaking, that would make sense. Yeah. So um, I guess what I think is I kind of – so I kind of like the idea of her – like whereas we start off the long kiss goodnight with Samantha as, you know, in this kind of, you know, role as the, you know, elementary school teacher, small town – housewife hosting the Christmas party. Right. And I think it would be interesting just to start a sequel because it's like after what Katie experiences, I mean, what are the chances, you know, it's like, what are the chances that's going to be her? Well, so yeah, I mean, something also to consider if we're talking sequel is that the character of Katie is, you know, not just half Charlie Baltimore. She's half Craig Bierko, the crazy villain. So it's like, Uh, maybe there's some sort of genetic, like, villainy going on in there. I guess, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I guess I don't entirely... I, I still don't entirely buy that she's being... Truthful, and and I, I and I feel like that maybe I wouldn't be surprised if if you could write it off as like she's so good at what she does that she's able to convince him. Well, yeah, but I mean, just thinking about it, it's established that right before she got knocked out and became an amnesiac, she was knocking boots with Craig Bierko. So it would make sense. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was thinking that it'd be fun to see a remake, whether uh, it be domestic or in China. Although I don't think I'd want Rennie Harlan involved. Um, if, wanted... if it was going to be remade in China, I would actually want it to be. This is, and this is, I'm inventing a new genre, um, assuming that time travel were possible, I think it should be pre-made by a late 90s, (laughs) early 90s John Woo in Uh China. Oh, man, John Woo. That'd be nuts. (laughs) Yeah, but like that John Woo. That John Woo. Not Mission Impossible 2 Woo. Right. So um, I I feel like if if there was a remake of it, uh, I'd want to see the... um, the fiance playing a bigger part. Hal is the name of the fiance. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's kind of set up a lot. And then he's pretty much dropped off. Um, Pretty much as soon as she starts, you know, killing people in the house, you really don't see him again. Well, because they leave and he's, of course, going to stay there. And yeah, but it's they don't like, flash back. They don't need to. They don't need to cut back and forth and show. All I'm, all like, I'm saying you know. is that if he were a bigger part, like maybe he is a private eye that she meets while trying to figure out her past, and they oh, start a relationship, hmm. and then it's like you know they send the kid off to go to like grandma's house while the two of them 
try to uncover a few things. I don't know. Um, that's really the only big change that I would make if there were to be a remake. Um, I feel like also this movie is very dense. They're trying to do a lot within two hours or so. You know, there's not just the plot of this amnesiac, you know, trying to do the thing, but it's the entire plot that the CIA has mm. I, is so dense. And I feel like it's easy to like miss a lot of what's really going on when you're getting caught up in a lot of the action stuff. So I, I don't know what the answer is. Certainly people get fatigue of long running times. So it's not like making it longer, but I, I don't know. I think that in someone else's, hands it might be a little bit more easy to digest um because i just when i was watching it the other day i was just like all right wait hold on this is also happening all right you know it's not had it been more simple i don't know if i'd like that either but i think that this is just a very complex story to tell and there's a lot going on at the same time so it's easy to you know miss things there's just a lot of sensation and I don't know. I, I think that maybe if it were done by somebody else, it'd be easier to accomplish that. I wonder if the the David Morse character is... We didn't talk about David Morse. We didn't. T- I know. I was waiting for you to bring up David That's Morse. That's what I'm saying. There's so much to go over here. There's so many... Like, Brian Cox's character is only there for like 10 minutes. Yeah. I, it's and then like there's David Morse who she thinks she was engaged to, but then realized yeah. like that was her target. But he's working with Timothy, who's also working right because the postcard that they find is basically filled with codes. So yeah. when she says she's engaged to him, it really means that he is the mark. A remake would be. I mean, who who would you who would you cast in a remake? Well, interestingly enough, I did put at the top of my list Blake Lively. So it's funny that you mentioned her to be the daughter. Oh, yeah. Um, some other ones that I had would be uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Mary Elizabeth Winstead of Live Free or Die Hard. Well, of course. I mean, she's, yeah. well, we know that she can do like an action movie. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. I like her. Uh, Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. I think would be cool. Uh, Rosa Salazar. Are you familiar with her? Oh, where do I know her from? Uh, she um, was in the Maze Runner. I think a couple of the Maze Runner movies. Uh, <sighs> Alita Battle Angel. Um, she's great. Um, Margot Robbie, potentially. Um, yeah. So, And then for a director, I feel like somebody... I think a female director would be really appropriate because when it comes to, you know, female driven action movies, Mm -hmm. you know, having a male directing takes something away from it. So I think that someone like Patty Jenkins, who was, who's fantastic would be, would be great for something like this. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of action. uh, Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of other uh, female directors that um, are still a little less known uh, would be, would be great. What's up? Oh, oh shoot! Why can't I think of her name off the top of my head? I one of my, I mean, favorite. She directed Strange Days. Um, and oh, the Hurt Locker. Catherine. Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow. Thank you. Yeah. Ashamed of myself, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, she would also be, she'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, she's, she's awesome. I, she did point I, break. Yeah. She, Catherine Bigelow kicks ass. I completely agree. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what I got. I, I mean, nothing too wild. Nothing too wild. So, yeah. Nothing no, no, no. Wild. That's yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I, for me, a remake I think to match because some so much of what makes this movie remake worthy is is the chemistry. I, I do think the chemistry between Samuel L. Jackson and J- Samuel L. Ja- oh, great, I'm Laura now. Uh, Samuel <laughs> L. Jackson and Gina Davis. Uh, I I think it's one of the strong points of of the film, and I I think especially. I mean, you you'd like. It, I mean, man, would you just bring back Samuel L. Jackson as Mitch in the remake? I mean, you could. I think that's something that this movie had that, you know, was used cleverly was the, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it sexual tension, but she kind of uses sexuality to try to, you know, get him to do things and... I don't think that that's necessary if, you know, you're going to remake it. So I think that he could be a good Mitch Hennessy again. <laughs> you know, he's he's great. There's, there's I also don't think it, yeah, it's, anyway, sorry. You're yeah, saying. there's there's tons of great actors who could definitely play that role. I mean, do I think that it's made better because Samuel L. Jackson is is playing that part? Probably. I mean, he's great. We all know that Samuel L. Jackson is awesome. So, yeah, I just I I guess the question is why watch the remake in in place of watching the original? Because if anybody's like me, they could watch this and be like, "This is cheesy as hell," and mm-hmm. I I like the idea of it, but I don't like the way it's you know carried out. And it's like true. I mean, you could just watch um, Captain Marvel and and get. Exactly what we're talking about, Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, and you know, yeah, but he a, a does woman. not say motherfucker once in that. Well, what are you supposed to do? Disney. He kind of like almost like stunt, like he says like mother like they it's, tease it's implied. Yeah. It's implied. Yeah, I only know that because I watched it literally yesterday. But okay, I watched it on a plane. My oh, feeling about Samuel L. Jackson saying motherfucker is like, it's great when he does it. It's very satisfying, but it's not required. And I don't, I'm not upset if he doesn't say it. Oh, he is great regardless. Like, he, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, I mean, I can think of so many great performances of his that aren't like Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Yeah. And the long kiss good night. Yeah. So, yeah. So John, um I, I I guess we we have nothing else to say about the long kiss good night other than you're going remake, I'm going I'm going oh, sequel. Another thing that I found cheesy about it is that uh the title of the movie is hinted at so many times. I uh, when they're in the hotel, Mitch is watching The Long Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the. I think it's when the radio is playing when uh, 
when Gina Davis is driving the old man home or something, but it's like some song that's like the long kiss something. And so it's like hinted at and oh. it's just like, really? I didn't catch that. I just caught the long goodbye, which I actually thought it was more of like an homage and saying like, yes, we acknowledge that the title of this is similar to the long goodbye and it is meant to evoke that type of, of story. Possibly. I mean, I, that well, could the be. Fate, it's a twist on that type of story. The femme fatale with amnesia who hires the private detective to well, find, yeah. except this time it's, the femme fatale is like leading the charge and knows yeah. all, knows it, everything. What I'm what I'm saying is like, it's a lot of cheesy, winky wink references. Mm-hmm. You know, I I enjoyed it. Let's talk about our next episode. I appreciate oh, it. I didn't say I didn't enjoy it. No, I know. Yeah, I think I enjoyed it with less of a critical eye. Got it. Yeah. Next episode. Um, Next episode. So next episode, we are we're we're doubling up on Shane Black and um, oh, by the way, uh, before we forget, we are we are two days away. Um, if you're listening to this on its uh, release day um, on t- Tuesday, I can't think of the date, but um, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, week, Dan. It's this coming week. It is. It is. If you're listening to it on release day, it's two days. It could be today. If you're listening to this on Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. And, and like, awesome. I hope you're listening to it with the whole family because we didn't say motherfucker like 10 times. All families are different. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so, John, let's talk about the motherfucking movie we're going to talk about next week and uh, a another Shane Black classic, questionable, we'll discuss, The Last Boy Scout from 1991. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited, too. Did not have any second thoughts about that at all. <laughs> cool. I mean, clearly, we are big Shane Black fans. So, yeah, let's let's stay aboard this train. Why not? We'll just, let's see. The, the, the Shane train? The Shane train. Woo-hoo. Have a good journey on that Shane train. Train's now. leaving the station. <laughs> good journey. How come you college motherfuckers think y'all run everything? Motherfucker. 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 What? Motherfucker, I eat everything. I eat the pussy, I eat the butt, I eat every motherfucking thing. Motherfucker, motherfucker, I'll chew his ass up. Motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. You're a smart motherfucker. English, motherfucker, 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 motherfucker. We're not gonna store the motherfucker. I'm on the motherfucker. Motherfucker, motherfucker. I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. Ha ha ha. Your clothes, motherfucker. Sewer rat may taste like pumpkin pie, but I never know because I wouldn't eat the filthy motherfucker. Motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. It's the one that says bad motherfucker. That's my bad motherfucker. Goddamn motherfucker. Motherfucker. You're racist motherfucker. 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 No. Motherfucker. Motherfucker, shit don't stink. Mousketeer looking motherfucker. Sit your motherfucking ass down. Head <laughs> motherfucker. Cause I'm a bad motherfucker. That's right! You can't get on me, motherfuckers! Look at me when I'm talking to you, motherfucker. Motherfucker, motherfucker. I'm still alive, motherfucker! 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 Motherfucker!
April Fool, motherfucker. You knock off wearing motherfucker. Motherfucker. You still motherfucking cracker, you know that, right? Where's my motherfucking chemist? Rest in peace. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Taste the motherfucking rainbow! Motherfucker. 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 You better leave, brother. Kiss my ass, brother fucker. I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Motherfucker. 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 Bad motherfucker. Motherfucking. I ain't trying to hurt no I don't have x-ray vision, motherfucker. Motherfucker, motherfucker. You thought I stole that motherfucker. I told you this motherfucker was klepto. Motherfucker, motherfucker. All kinds of motherfuckers. Motherfuckers. Ah, you motherfucker! These motherfuckers don't do shit, motherfucker. Motherfucker. Oh, motherfucker! Booger eating, piss drinking, motherfucker. God damn you, motherfucker! Motherfucker. Motherfucker. This motherfucker. You gotta cock it, motherfucker. You motherfucker. Did you really think I was stupid enough to implant one of those things in my own head? If I don't hear a confession from one of you motherfuckers, quick, fast, and in a hurry, you prepared for that assault, motherfucker? No, motherfucker! No, you're not the only observant motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> shit, motherfucker. Motherfucker! <laughs> shit! And has a plethora of those motherfuckers. You're a lucky motherfucker. Motherfucker, please. The Perfect shot through a motherfucker's ear hole from 300 meters. He who kills evil motherfuckers. You're an annoying motherfucker. Double my money on that corrupt Asian motherfucker. Yeah, and that's the beauty of that motherfucker. That motherfucker's got to go. Tick tock, motherfucker. Motherfucker, I will bust a cap in your ass if you don't give up that wheel. Have you ever said please or please, motherfucker? Why are we always yelling? Die, you motherfucker. Mother. Real men are strong enough to put their foot in the motherfucker's ass when they get pissed off. Oh, motherfucking! You okay? Yeah, it's just a scratch.